0: This is The Guardian. I'm Gabrielle Jackson coming to you from Gadigal land and this is The Full Story, Newsroom Edition, where Guardian Australia's editors discuss the news of the week. The ABC has been in the headlines, not breaking them.
1: The ABC has announced 120 redundancies with their highest...
0: The public broadcaster is embarking on a major digital restructure. They want to go digital.
2: Yeah, they want to go digital because, you know, we need more digital stuff.
0: As young Australians are turning off their TVs and radios, Auntie's audience is rapidly shrinking. Lee Sales, one of their most high-profile journalists, said it's change or death. But with change... Often comes job losses. The high profile sacking of political editor Andrew Probran drew criticism from all corners of the media. To see the ABC, our
2: public broadcaster, not have a political editor in Parliament Press Gallery,
0: I find incredible. And there's a h- another one. And in some corners, the pushback seemed particularly bizarre. This is the most stupid decision. Mate, this is, like, this is like utopia
2: times 50. It's, it's unbelievable. They keep axing the things that people actually utilize.
0: Today, I'm talking to Head of News Mike Tisher and Deputy News Editor Joe Tovey about whether the ABC can change with The Times. It's Friday, the 23rd of
1: June. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier.
0: Good morning, Mike. Good morning. Good morning, Joe. Hi, Gabs. So the ABC is undergoing what our media correspondent Amanda Me described as a quiet revolution that has not been received so quietly. Mike, what is going on at Auntie?
3: First of all, I can't bear it when people refer to the ABC as Auntie. I know everyone <laughs> does. <laughs> Sounds incredibly twee and very much in keeping with the audience that we're about to discuss of the ABC. But anyway, the ABC is restructuring, which, as usual, when people talk about restructuring, involves job losses. It's culling 120 jobs as. Part part of its changes, which the intent of them is to move away from its traditional broadcasting to what they call a digital-first media organisation. So the sort of headline one was that Andrew Probrin, the political correspondent in Canberra, is one among those made redundant. That was highly controversial, um, because he's a very good journalist, and lots of people were like, what is going on at the ABC from their point of view, the point of it is, not him specifically, but the point of the, of the restructure is that they're putting too many resources into TV and radio, the traditional means of broadcasting, and they want to put more into digital because audiences are declining for their traditional ways of doing news and current affairs, and they need to find a better way, which, as many other news organisations have found, is easier said than done.
0: Yeah, Joe. Mike mentioned Andrew Proben. We noticed ourselves how much attention that got. Why do you think that was?
2: I think that Andrew Proben is quite a beloved and well-known journalist and the stated reason for that decision didn't really ring true with a lot of people who watch the ABC or observe that coverage. I think... What the ABC is doing in restructuring and moving to a digital first model is quite uncontroversial when you look at what media organisations have had to do around the world. You know, Mike and I both used to work at Fairfax, which went through a huge kind of digital revolution over the last decade or so. The Guardian has become a
0: digital first mm, organisation. in Australia as a digital-only organisation.
2: Yeah, and, it, you know, and it has a long history as a newspaper. This is uncomfortable and the reality for every news organisation, that wants to survive into the 21st century. So that's uncontroversial. But some of the sort of micro decisions that the ABC is making as they make that transition are rubbing people the wrong way and don't even really gel with the broader strategy like... It's one thing to say that you need to strengthen your weaknesses, which might be your reach on digital, your appeal to younger audiences, but you also don't want to weaken your strengths. And one of the key things people love and trust about the ABC is it's excellent political coverage, which is authoritative and probing, um, not to make a pun. Um, So to get rid of a political editor position in Canberra, it's hard to see how that helps you build a, a youthful audience. So that's why I think that decision has been so difficult.
3: I think that's part of the problem. It has a lot of presenters who've been around for a long time, not that the program has been there particularly long, but in radio, for example, it has a stable of people who've been there for really quite a long time on their breakfast program. Frank Kelly um, moved on from that recently. Philip Adams and others have been there for a really long time, and they are highly regarded by many of its increasingly older audience who have been remembered them over the years and you know the same goes for tv lee sales and many others we could mention who are their sort of star performers that audiences have grown to know and in many cases to really respect and to like but that audience growing older is also part a big part of the problem because they're the demographic that still sticks by the abc and tends to get its news from the abc but They are declining in terms of share and they're not being replaced by people coming behind them. So when a big star leaves, that's news and people throw up their hands in despair and say, oh, my God, this icon of the ABC is no longer with us, but it does have a kind of logic in terms of trying to adjust to changing demographics of the country and how people receive their news.
0: The ratings are pretty bad, aren't they, Joe? Yeah, that's right.
2: So Amanda Mead, our media correspondent, uh, got a hold of some uh, internal presentations that showed at the moment only four out of 10 Australians currently watch ABC TV on a weekly basis. But by 2032, that's expected to drop to just two out of 10, with the vast majority of people under 40 not watching it at all. We've also seen a big drop off in some places more than others of listeners to a flagship ABC radio programs, particularly the breakfast programs on RN and local stations like 702 they're plummeting they're not remotely competitive with their commercial counterparts in some places and you know for an organization that does receive taxpayer money that's there to represent Australians if Australians aren't watching or listening then you have to question whether they're meeting their charter obligations and people have a right to ask questions in the organisation, I think it is imperative that they respond to that and find a way to reach more people.
3: And of course, this is a, not just an Australian phenomenon, it's a global one. As the digital news report, global report done by Reuters, which found very similar trends throughout the world that people are increasingly not getting their news by going to the front of a website or let alone a print newspaper, but through other channels, through social media. And that This particularly affected public broadcasters and particularly affected the age demographics that we were just talking about. The younger groups are no longer using those means, even when you think about a website, let alone a newspaper, to go to the front page and find out what is in the news on my brand anymore. They find out through social media, through group chats often, YouTube, all kinds of other online platforms that traditional publishers have found in many cases, hard to get traction on. Mm.
0: So it's clear they have to do something to attract these younger audiences. They know that they seem to be aware that they have to. But are they stuck between a bit of a rock and a hard place? It seems every time they do try to change the strategy, especially if it's to attract younger people, sections of the media are up in arms about it. Yeah. I mean, I think
2: the ABC is in a really difficult position all the time. They've got critics on the right saying they're too left wing. They've got critics on the left saying they're going too soft. They've got to try and be all things to all people in a big, diverse, changing country. That's not easy. And I I do genuinely feel sorry sometimes for the level of scrutiny and criticism that they're under, you know, like they're Conservative critics make it almost a nightly exercise on Sky After Dark, picking them apart. It's not an easy environment to operate. That being said, though, this is a challenge they need to meet. It's sort of an adapt or die situation for broadcasters, both here and elsewhere. The BBC is going through the same kind of reckoning at the moment.
0: I remember ABC Life as a particularly bad example of the ABC trying a new strategy and eventually sacking it. What happened there,
3: Mike? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's interesting the way the ABC talks about its digital offerings because quite often what it seems to mean by that is that people access its traditional programs but through digital means, through the Listen app and through iView. But that's not really creating different kinds of programming and thinking about the news or current affairs in a digital way. ABC Life was an attempt to do that. It had a much more diverse staff. It was appealing to a younger and a more diverse audience and it got absolutely crucified. (laughs) Mm. Uh, And it was also dealing more in lifestyle content, which, you know, is sometimes easy to parody, but in fact is incredibly popular Mm. and has its completely legitimate place in current affairs coverage as well. You know, The Guardian does it just as every other site does it.
2: Yeah, uh, just on that, I think it was really stuck during that period that ABC Life was just getting so much stick for daring to talk about domestic matters and child rearing and all this stuff, nobody objected to Guardian Australia or, you know, the afternoon shows on 702 talking about, you know, your annoying teenagers and why they won't (laughs) pick up their socks. Like there's plenty of kind of inane domestic content it was just that content is generally pitched at boomers and Mm. ABC Life was an online attempt to pitch it at a younger more diverse audience which Mm. says a lot more about the critics really than it does about the ABC.
3: I just went back to look at a little bit of that coverage and in September 2019 Chris Kenny wrote a column in The Australian one of very many columns about ABC Life that appeared in The Australian which was headlined it that it hits a new high on the wokeness scale. I mean, obviously the wokeness scale has been massively recalibrated since twenty (laughs) nineteen and now it would barely it would barely make a dent on the wokeness scale, I don't think, according to the Australian. But talking about the Australian, I mean, they also tried to made a very ill judged foray into youth publishing that lasted even a shorter period than ABC Life when they launched the Oz, which was meant to appeal to younger readers. They ran at least one spectacularly ill-judged piece, which was so defamatory that we can't even say what it was about.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but we, it is imprinted gen- on our brains forever. It was generally
3: yeah. panned for quite similar reasons to ABC Life, except that the content, I would argue, was worse. But um, that's a, debatable. But it just shows that it's not easy. Like when older and traditional news Organisations try to sort of consciously appeal to the kids <laughs> in ways that are, you know, familiar to people from The Simpsons. It's really difficult and it's very hard to do it well. And the ABC is no different from anyone else in that respect.
0: And we saw a very similar line repeated in The Australian when it came to Andrew Proben sacking as well, Mike.
3: Well, there was one headline in particular that stood out in The Australian, which was over a column by Nick Cater, their, their columnist, which was, was Andrew Proben let go from the ABC for being male and white? Question mark The first line of the article made clear that there was no evidence <laughs> that he was let go from the ABC for being male and white, and the rest of the article made almost no reference to Andrew Proben at all, but it was just... There was a line in it about the, quotes poisonous doctrine of social equity, which apparently the ABC is among the organisations that has fallen for this poisonous doctrine. It just kind of pointed to the fact that whatever the ABC does, it's going to be accused of being too woke in some quarters and to sort of force the probe and departure into that framework took a lot of a lot of work, <laughs> which in some ways you can you know, almost feel like you have to applaud. But it was just ridiculous.
0: I was really confronted by the fact that social equity is a poisonous doctrine. Mm. <laughs> but isn't it absurd? The ABC's charter is literally to appeal to all Australians, and Australia is a diverse place. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some of the many valid
2: criticisms that could be made about some of the recent decisions and the restructure or ABC programming in general, the one that I find the weakest and, frankly, the most offensive is the idea that they're too woke, that there's too many diversity hires. I mean, as you say, cultural diversity is part of the ABC's Charter. Australia looks very different now than it did 50 years ago when you had, you know, a slate of white broadcasters speaking the Queen's English and so it should and it should be doing more, frankly, to appeal to these audiences and I think that type of criticism really says a lot more about the critics and the kinds of media organisations that they come from, the kind of bizarre retrograde cultures that persist in those organisations than it does about the ABC.
3: Mm. Uh, And it really doesn't help when people... In positions of authority outside the media, journalism that's aimed at younger people, as Bob Carr did in the wake of the Proben case, where he said they were going to replace him with, quote, junior reporters who can get stuff on TikTok, as if that's a bad thing. Mm -hmm. TikTok is where younger people increasingly are finding their news from. So if respected news organizations don't put stuff on TikTok, it's only going to be filled with. Not non respectable news, if you can put it like that. So, TikTok may seem inane to people from older generations who don't get their news that way, but increasingly that's where the story is becoming, and we have to be engaged with that one way or another.
0: Is it possible for the ABC to fulfill its charter in the polarised media landscape we now find ourselves in?
3: Well, it has to keep trying, doesn't it? <laughs> All it can do is keep trying to find ways to do that. We might not think all of them have been entirely successful, but, yeah, of course it has to keep appealing to all audiences, which includes the established ones, and it's not going to stop doing radio and TV. But, yeah, it has to try to think in different ways and... We'll have to see how this restructure works out. Obviously, a lot of people are very unhappy about it at the moment, as they always are when things get restructured and understandably are when people lose their jobs. But they can't keep going the way they are going if they are actually to fulfil their charter, which is to appeal to everyone, as we said.
2: Yeah, and I absolutely don't think they should embrace a sort of defeatist attitude and say they should just do what they know, which is sort of what seemed to be implied by the Bob Carr tweet, like younger audiences are there to be won over or to be found. You have to go where they are. I don't think you needed to get rid of Andrew Proben in order to get younger audiences. I don't see why you couldn't have developed some of their older talent to appeal to audiences on TikTok, for example. Andrew Proben had a great run on TikTok during the pandemic, he actually. A bit
0: of a TikTok star. TikTok was audiences
2: he? are very open to, like, a news daddy or a news mummy who can go on and explain them and bring great stories to them. At the end of the day, what people want is great stories. We want disclosure of information we didn't know. But you have to be able to bring it to people where they are and younger audiences. You know, I'm a millennial and sort of came of an age at a time when we were described as digital natives because we were online. But we were still generally consuming our media from places like BuzzFeed or Vice or website driven news younger audiences they're not even going to websites anymore as Mike said earlier they're really social natives they're there on TikTok on Instagram on message boards like Reddit YouTube YouTube you know these are the platforms where they are they're less loyal to brands but if you can reach them with the same informative quality entertaining content and entertaining being the key way finding ways to adapt that I think big media organizations can survive.
0: Hey, Laura murphy here. At Guardian Australia, we want to make sure you're getting the news that matters in 2023. Our morning mail and afternoon update newsletters are short and capture the most important headlines of the day. If that sounds good, you can subscribe for free right now by visiting the Guardian homepage, searching Guardian Australia newsletters or just downloading our app and you'll get daily notifications. Now we come to what we can't get out of our head. Now, obviously, mine is Taylor Swift tickets, but I'm guessing that's not yours?
3: No, no, (laughs) nor is it for anyone in my... There are lots of dads around The Guardian this week who have been very preoccupied with that question, but I am not one of them.
2: Joe, I'm
0: slightly preoccupied with Taylor Swift tickets. I have my pre-sale code ready to go. Excellent. Um, Mike, what is occupying your mind?
3: It's a column we ran earlier this week about trends among some people for washing their clothes less or in some cases not at all Mm. our UK office interviewed a lot of different people on a wide spectrum from people who only wash in cold water right down to people who barely wash their clothes at all and have got to come accustomed to it and there's a lot of good material in there I have to say I'm on the spectrum of just at the cold washing end, I do wash, wash as frequently as others do. But I did find it really interesting to think about this as environmental reasons why we shouldn't wash everything so much and put all kinds of stuff into the water system. But it just was kind of interesting to think about how we got to the stage where everyone is obsessed with cleanliness to a degree that, are oh, for bears would not recognise and whether we should somewhat rethink it although I definitely wouldn't go as far as some of the people in the story.
0: Yeah, I do think there might be hygiene reasons why we wash our underwear more than once definitely. a week. <laughs> <laughs> we should emphasise this article was out of the UK, which I feel says something culturally
2: about no, the origins of these ideas.
0: But the guy who doesn't wash his underwear was asked, "Does your wife think you smell?" and he said, "Sometimes." <laughs> okay, thank you so much for joining us, Mike.
3: Thanks a lot. Thanks,
0: Joe. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. This episode was produced by Miles Herbert and Camilla Hannon. Sound design and mixing by James Milson. Theme music by Joe Koning. As always, don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening, even if it's Spotify. Have a great weekend, and full story. We'll be back with you on Monday.